Cobalt headquarters in San Francisco, this is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my friend and colleague, Jimmy Sanders. Jimmy and I met last year in the speaker room at the Structure Security Conference in San Francisco. His talk at the conference was about security trends and threats, and I was speaking on a panel about security for DevOps. In addition to having security leadership roles at a number of different financial and technology institutions, including SAP, Fiserv, and Samsung, Jimmy spends a lot of his time outside work helping to grow and connect the information security community. Jimmy currently runs information security for Netflix DVD and provides leadership to our colleagues in the San Francisco Bay Area as president of the local ISSA chapter. Jimmy, welcome to our podcast. Hey, welcome. It's great to be talking with you, Caroline. Jimmy, one of the things I'm always interested in is how people manage to start in this industry. Can you tell us your story about both how you got started in tech as well as your transition to security? Um, yes. Yeah, so for me, it was a long and winding story. Uh, I'm actually from Texas. So I grew up small town in Texas and around about 30,000 people. And the only real jobs you had were manufacturing jobs. And I was always good at math, but I could never find my actual fit in math. Because at the time when I was growing up, which was, I graduated high school in 93, technology hasn't, hadn't taken off. So I went to University of Houston to study mechanical engineering. I was bored out of my mind of, I didn't do well in school. And I ended up having a, I actually flunked out of University of Houston for a while. And then I moved to California in 1996, uh, started uh, taking junior college classes because I always knew that I loved math and I loved learning. I just didn't find out what my passion was at the time. And so I started taking a couple of junior college classes and I remember taking my first computer class. It was intro to Java. And from that point on, I realized that computers for me was what I loved. And so I got into computers so early on uh, and, as, and I got my first official job as an intern at a beef jerky company in 1999. And, it's, and it was such a funny story because the person there, we, I always tried to automate and uh, make the technology environment at the beef jerky company as great as it could be, th just to keep us enthused about technology in general. And so from 1999, I've been in the technology industry. That is phenomenal. And thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. I think it's, you know, this is going to be around our ninth or so episode when we when we publish it. And to date, I've actually spoken with three of our guests who have been enormously successful in the field, um, who had some troubles in high school or college, whether in that case, you know, you know, one guy um, uh, didn't finish high school, uh, another woman didn't finish college, uh, and they've gone on to lead these phenomenal careers. So I think it's just really interesting to see that, you know, the way in which you approach formal education earlier in your life, it's certainly not a predictor for how successful you will be later in your life. 
But to me, that's almost a stereotypical thing of life in general, is that a lot of the leaders that I see in the security industry and the technology industry, they didn't become overnight successes. They may have done some great things in the past, but to continue to be ahead of the field, you have to stay at it and understand that that is your passion and that is your career. Yeah, that's really cool. So Jimmy, you found through courses at junior college that computing was something that was really, really exciting for you. What was the opportunity that led you to transition from IT into a security role? So for certain listeners, I'll be dating myself because I, when I first got into computers, I was into everything computer related. And I always thought that hackers and crackers were super wizards. And I used to read the online blogs. And I remember reading this online hacking magazine called frack.org. And uh, so I was always interested. So one of the, so the CIO of the company at the time, BankServe, uh, was looking for somebody to fill the IT security position at the time. And me and the CIO were really good friends. And he was, he said, Jimmy, I don't have anybody I can hire for this role. And so I said, oh, let me see that role. So I looked at it and, and I saw the re- requirements. And I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. Oh, I can do that. Uh, Andrew, I can do this. Let me test me out. I, I, can, I can do this. And it was like, you really think you can? You have no experience. I'm like, yeah, I think I can do this. He said, okay, we'll give you three months to, as a probation p- period. And the thing he didn't tell me at the time when I was on the probation period was they had just failed, failed at the time a SAS 70 audit. And they were undergoing a PCI audit. So here I am with no security experience with a just failed an audit and getting ready for another audit for credit cards. So it was an interesting time for me. Wow. So you dove right in to a complex compliance environment um, without ever having uh, tried something like that before. Uh, and I can see, uh, you know, from your LinkedIn profile and, and knowing some things about what you've ended up doing with your career, uh, the compliance has actually ended up being something that you've done uh, in a variety of different roles since then. Yes. So for me, compliance is to me just best practices and best standards. And the wonderful thing I love about working in Silicon Valley is that hopefully we are leading the way in terms of best practices and best standards. So when a new audit comes out or when GDPR comes out or what's the next quote unquote hard security problem, hopefully we're a couple of steps ahead of it, at least internally, even though we don't necessarily explicitly document it, we still may be practicing things at a certain level. Mm -hmm. Now, Jimmy, specifically, what was it? Was it a particular role that brought you out from Texas to Silicon Valley? And then as a broader question, can you walk me through the different security roles you've had in your career and tell me a little something about each one? So what brought me out from Texas to California was my ex-wife. I was, as I said, I was, went to University of Houston. I wasn't doing much and I was looking for a spark. And so for me to change a venue, change of setting was what I needed. And then uh, once I discovered technology, uh, I just jumped headfirst into it. And then in terms of the roles that I've had, I've intentionally tried to work my way 
up and through the various avenues that you can do in computer security. Um, but the one lucky thing that I've always had was by me starting that position at BankServe in that security role, I was able to elevate that role into running the security for the entire company. And it enabled me to take what, what was considered at the time an engineering position, at the end of the day, mold that into a, of a more executive or chief position where I was reviewing contracts with the CFO and legal team, and I was in talks with the CEO. So it was a very eye-opening experience at the time. Uh, and then from there, I went to SAP because at the time, cloud was the next big thing, and SAP was really wanting to get into the cloud, and this is before... They had bought a couple of cloud companies, so they hired me to uh, head up their cloud initiative. And at the time, it was called SAP of uh, On Demand. Yeah, SAP On Demand at the time. So, and SAP was the first true Silicon Valley job I had, uh, because before that, I worked in San Francisco, my whole California existence, and then going to the Silicon Valley was eye-opening in so many ways. Very cool. You know, I think it's just fascinating that at your first role, you were able to transition from this role of, you know, security engineer into a leadership role into one that sounds like it was more integrated with the business. Certainly you had a seat, it sounds like, at some of these uh, tables where decisions were being made. Um, Jimmy, what kind of advice do you have for some of our listeners who might be at a crossroads in their security careers and trying to decide what sort of a path to take? It sounds like you intentionally set out to try and take on a lot of different types of roles uh, within information security. Um, what sorts of lessons learned might you be able to share with our listeners? The first thing is understand what doesn't make you happy. We don't know all the things that make it, make us happy in life, but we definitely understand the things that we don't like to do. Uh, try to gear yourself and your attitude towards the things that you like. Uh, for me, I love technology. I love interacting with people. I love making decisions. I love defending and guarding against adversaries. And so for me, I'm always trying to figure out how I can do that the best that I can. And so I'm happy every day at work. And by being happy, everyone around you see, sees that. And so for all potential people, even when at my first help desk job, I was at a help desk of a healthcare company, I was happy at the job because I was in technology. It was so vibrant at the time. And that shows when you interact with people. People see passion. They may not see your skill set, but they will definitely see your passion. And for people listening, you don't realize who's watching you when you're doing things. And it's the things that you do on a consistent basis that, in, that defines you. I, when I talk to students, I tell them it's about integrity. And so hopefully your demonstrated body of work and the way you handle yourself and your integrity will lead you to a better and broader career. That's pretty cool. You know, Jimmy, it sounds like you've done a lot of thinking about interacting with people and you know it occurs to me you've worked for a lot of really big name companies in the valley and you know i think sometimes in silicon valley 
there can be these cultural things that can get into a person's head. Um, what kinds of things do you do to keep yourself grounded? I realize at the end of the day, unless you actually started the company, you're helping the company to succeed. You're not the reason the company is succeeding. So keeping that in mind and also understand that hopefully as much as you love your job, your job should not be the thing that defines you, especially if you have a family, you have friends, you have extracurricular activities. All of those things hopefully make you a more holistically sound person. Having the drive and being dedicated are wonderful traits that everyone should have. But to me, you should have the drive and dedication in every single thing that you do and not just at your job. Try to be the best parent you can, the best father you can, uh, the best friend you can. And obviously, we will fall, fall short of those things. But once again, it goes back to the passion. It goes back to the drive. And another word that I like to use is intentionality. I want to intentionally be the best security practitioner that I happen to know. I may not be, but that doesn't mean I won't always try. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think, um, you know, as we were talking just a little bit earlier today, one of the things that you said to me was, you know, Caroline, I've never been at an organization where people are trying to do the wrong thing. And I think that, you know, the way that the media climate is these days, especially around information security, or as the media commonly refers to the field, cybersecurity, you know, there can be a lot of blame that it seems that goes on. Um, but what are your thoughts on, you know, different organizations that, to an outside perspective, might seem like they're kind of failing at doing a good job at, at, at doing security? Blame and responsibility and notoriety run hand in hand with the security world. If you're doing security right, unless you're act actually promoting it, most people think you're not doing it. Because when you're blocking the attackers, when you're not getting viruses, when you're not making the news, you're relatively silent. And that's a good thing from a security standpoint, but it's not necessarily the best thing from a PR or public relations standpoint. And so when companies do make the news, as a security practitioner, I realize it only takes an, a hacker one opportunity to get it right for them to suddenly break into a company and make the news out of it. That doesn't mean the company did everything bad. It means that they fell short in this one area. And I would be naive to think that I've never fell short in any area in, in a security organization. Yeah. The, one, the one thing that I'm, I always try to instill in practice and once again, I can't guarantee anyone 100% security is that hopefully we layer our security and we remediate things as soon as possible. The things that I have issues with are the companies that are in the news that take months and even years to fix a problem that could have been fixed within a couple of weeks or even a day. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that of all of the different security controls that are that there are to choose from um, you know there's so much that focuses on detection and finding problems but really it's the fixing uh, that makes things better so I think it's really f refreshing to hear both the humility of your perspective as well as the pragmatism Jimmy what are some of the things that so we talked a little bit about layered security, 
We talked a little bit about remediating issues right away. What other things do you think should be top of mind for any information security leader uh, today? For me, we in the security industry, and I'm, and I'm speaking from several hats, we are bombarded with vendors, and many vendors will sell us the best automation product on the market, the best silver bullet security product on the market. But one of the things that I've seen that is consistent among the, the best practices of security leaders and professionals is understanding the basics, having a mindset and understanding your gaps so that you are consistently analyzing where you happen to be weak at and fixing that problem so that you're now weak at a different area. Never be weak at the same thing on a consistent basis and work through that. The only thing that certain companies and you know, hopefully we'll talk about this may be weak at is obviously a lack of personnel. But with the advent of you can always hire professional services, you can do automation, you can shore up some of the personnel issues. But if you're not grounded in basics, instead of doing the best encryption in the world, just do encryption and start from there and then work and become more complex as you get the basics done. Jimmy, I've got two follow-up questions for you. One of them has to do with sort of this risk assessment and gap identification that you mentioned. And then the second has to do with sort of the lack of personnel. And I, and I hear you speaking to the cybersecurity talent shortage. Now, with regards to your approach, focus on the basics, get a security mindset, identify the gaps. As you've worked at both technology as well as financial services organizations, do you see any patterns in, in terms of particular industry verticals and what kinds of security gaps might exist in a particular sector? Do you see any sector-specific patterns? I don't see sector-specific patterns in terms of practicing security. I see sector-specific patterns in terms of applying security at a company. In general, non-technology-based financial institutions like to conduct changes on a more methodical, uh, once a quarter, once every month basis. And so they're very risk averse, which is obviously a good thing, but they're all also change averse, which may not necessarily be a good thing because when the, when the latest virus hits or when the latest attack happens, you need to be able to respond quickly without breaking your entire product. Where technology companies that started off in a, you know, a CICD world where they're constantly doing development, for you to add a patch into their environment is just adding another change. And so those are the two things that I see as the, that's the thing that I see as the difference. But the way you, you're trying to apply security is the same, is just the speed in which you may be able to apply certain implementations of security that's different. Mm -hmm. And to another thing that you said with regards to the lack of personnel, um, certainly, you know, pretty much most leaders that I speak with in our field, everyone seems to have a hiring problem. It's very difficult to find folks with the skills uh, that are needed to perform a lot of these jobs. What are your thoughts on the talent situation 
both in cybersecurity as well as in Silicon Valley? I see it as approximately a three-pronged problem. One of the problems is that the job requirements require experience when there isn't experience in that particular area. I can recall seeing when Java first started and someone was on a job requirement asking for a person with eight years of Java experience when Java was only out for three years. You would never truly fill that position unless you reevaluate what you're exactly looking for. The other thing that I see is that why do we always have to hire? And I've gotten this from several friends who think similar. You don't have to hire a security engineer to do coding for a security product or a security initiative. Coders can code for anything. We need to give them the metrics and the data that we need, and then they'll build a product for us or they'll build a solution for us internally or externally. They don't have to be specific to security. Security is just another application. And the third thing is education and awareness. I talk to students from various colleges and universities, and a lot of them don't even realize that you can even have a a career in security. Um, There are some colleges out there who are of issuing computer security degrees, but they're very far and few between. Almost every college has an MIS degree for you know management information systems, but why not a master's in information security? So the awareness is lacking also. So those are the th- three big things that I see that are happening in the Valley. Cool, thank you. We're running out of time and I'm just wondering which question to ask you because there's so much good stuff. And I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go with two more because I really am curious. Um, one of them has to do with Netflix. So you're running information security for Netflix DVD. Netflix is a smoking hot company. And um, I'm curious to know how the security job at Netflix might be particularly different from other organizations, given that Netflix is a content producer. You know, certainly I, I know that your organization uh, has had to deal with some security news in the press, and I'm just curious to know what that's like for you. So I can't speak for Netflix in general of, and for everybody on the team, but it's an amazing company that gives you a lot of room to grow and do your best. The challenges that I see and that we may be experiencing is just simply expectations. Many people may expect certain things because of the name Netflix. When we do amazing things, but everybody is trying to do amazing things. So we are not necessarily the unicorn that is going to do, that is going to bore the ocean. With that being said, we have a lot of wonderful open source products. Security Monkey is a great tool. Uh, Chaos Monkey is a great tool. We have a lot of of wonderful open source tools that, so Jason Chan, he runs the security for for Netflix uh, Incorporated and he has a great mind and he has a great team and they're doing amazing things. Cool. And Jimmy, the last question I have for you today is with regards to your role as president of our local ISSA chapter. Why is it that you choose to spend your time doing that work? When I attended the first ISSA meeting, I was sitting next to an executive who was an executive in security and a female at HP. And I was sitting next to a CISO of a large bank. 
and they went out of the way to be helpful, to be appreciative, and to answer my questions. And it opened my eyes that we do a lot of things in a vacuum in security. We're told not to talk to people, not to reveal all of our secrets. But ISSA and just most general organizations allow us to have a camaraderie that's lacking. It allows us to ask people questions and not get too specific, but ask questions and hopefully get answers and pointing in the right direction to solving our problems. And that is why I love the security community and I feel like it's incumbent upon me to give back to the security community. Cool. Jimmy, thank you so much uh, for being a guest on our podcast today. Uh, it's been so enjoyable talking to you. Uh, we really appreciate it. Caroline, it was great talking to you and I look forward to seeing you soon. Yes. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen testing as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.